0: We just stepped on their face with a half-nailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethea, coming to you today from the DraftKings studios, talk to you about how the Falcons can replace Calvin Ridley. If you're new to the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, You can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. And as always, please make sure to like this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. So at this point, if you're listening to this podcast, you already are aware of the news that Falcons star wide receiver Calvin Ridley was suspended at least one year by the NFL for betting on NFL games. The bets involved $1,500 on three separate parlay bets. That happened over a five-day span in late November, and at least one of those involved him placing a bet on the Atlanta Falcons. Now, this all happened while he was away from the team, so the Falcons are basically not on the hook for anything related to him. They will void his $11-plus salary for the 2021 season, and once Calvin Ridley is eligible for reinstatement, which at the earliest will be February of 2023, his $11 million can come back on into the books. Now, the Falcons have already exercised their fifth-year option, and he does not get credit for a year of service time during the suspension. It's essentially like he got blipped like out of the MCU. But they will have a decision to make if, he, if and when he's reinstated on whether or not to cut him, trade him, etc. What all that means right now is that the Falcons are entering the 2022 offseason with three receivers on their roster at the moment, Frank Darby, Austin Trammell, and Chad Hansen. If you do not know who those three are, that's fine, because they have a combined one catch for 14 yards in 2021. So, yeah, the Falcons need receivers. (laughs) And when you're looking at how they're going to fill that void, they essentially have two options, and it's the same two options that teams always have. Draft one, trade for one, or sign one as a free agent. Considering the number of holes on the Falcons roster, the thought of trading for a receiver and giving up valuable draft picks is a complete non starter because the Falcons have needs at literally every position where they either need a starter or depth. So, you know, some people listen to this and say, Well, they don't need they don't need a help at tight end well, actually yes, because right now Kyle Pitts is your only tight end. So, you know, I don't think they're gonna enter the season with Parker Hesse as the dedicated backup. So Even for a position like tight end, where you just took a first-round pick, you need depth. Um, You need edge rushers, inside linebackers, outside linebackers, because you just cut Dante Fowler. The Falcons need everything. And so the idea of trading away valuable picks, even to get a top-flight receiver, just doesn't seem like it works because you're filling one hole and creating three more. So the Falcons will be drafting or signing a number-one receiver. And I'll start with looking at some of the options they have in the NFL draft. So, this is one of those years where the draft has more depth than it does high-quality star power. For example, there's not a Jamar Chase in this draft. Okay, there, there just isn't. Um, but there are a lot of guys that probably could be Calvin Ridleys. You know, not by Calvin Ridley, I mean guys that'll be productive, quality starters two or three years in. But I don't know that there's a receiver in this class that's going to go have a Jeff, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase rookie year. I just don't know if there's that kind of talent. There could be, but... I don't think there's even consensus that that talent exists in this draft. So, the Falcons have the number eight pick in the first round. And if they're looking to go with the receiver, there are probably five names that are currently being circulated off-round as first-round options. Those would be Drake London from USC, who's a six-foot-five-ish, tall, physical receiver that's really great on making contested catches. His contested catch rate is absurd. And if you look at his YouTube highlights, He's one of those guys that you watch about 30 seconds of, and you're like, okay, he's a freak. Um, if you haven't seen Drake London's tape, he had 88 catches in like 1,200 yards before breaking his ankle late in the season for USC, and I think he had that in like something like 10 games. So he had absurd production. And if you haven't seen him play, think George Pickens on his best days. That's what Drake London was, but it was week in, week out. It was a lot more consistent. So, again, think healthy George Pickens if you're a Georgia fan on his best days, and that's what Drake London is. So he'd be one option. He is uh, considered not the consensus best receiver, but he is probably the one mocked as the top receiver more often than not. Then you also have Garrett Wilson, who's just a really well-rounded, polished receiver. I think Calvin Ridley with better run-after-the-catch ability. He ran a 4-3 at the Combine. He's got good routes, solid hands. He's really good with the ball in his hands after the catch. Really productive career at Ohio State. Solid pick. He's going to be a good NFL receiver. Traylon Burks from Arkansas is another option the number eight pick. Big physical fast. Did not run well at the combine, but you can watch about two minutes of his highlights and see him run away from SEC defenses on a regular basis. Torched Alabama in his game against them. He's a very, very good receiver. Gave Georgia problems. He's 6'2", big bodied. If you have not seen him play, think like A.J. Brown for the Titans as a comp, but better with his run-up to the catch ability. He catches the ball, and he's like a fullback out there. If y'all remember watching Julio Jones run with the ball, that's what this guy runs like, but he's got more wiggle. Um, and he was used to do a lot of different things. He said himself that he models his game after Debo Samuel. He's a big body receiver that would be an instant starter and is probably going to be like a high-level, productive guy in two or three years. And then you have Jameson Williams, who we all know, this speech from Alabama, who is probably the fastest receiver in this draft, if not one of the fastest players this entire draft. And he tore his ACLs. we all know, in the national championship game. He was likely going to be a top 10 pick prior to tearing up his knee and it is important to remember that if they took him at number eight he's probably not going to be available for a significant portion of the season but he has got otherworldly speed extremely high level production but it's also worth noting that he couldn't get on the field behind garrett wilson and the next person on this list who is chris olave olave is your classic routes and hands guy um really good route runner lots of production over his career at ohio state there are questions about his long speed, but then he went and ran 4-3 at the combine, which solved some of those questions. He's had a few concentration drops over his career, but he's one of those prospects that, again, is you're going to look up in three or four years, he's going to be just a really good NFL football player. I would say a good comp for him is faster Tyler Boyd, if you're familiar with him, uh, the receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, but those are five options in the first round if you want to take a receiver at number eight. If the Falcons do choose to go that route, my preference would be for one of the bigger receivers. Drake London just has phenomenal hands, and if he's able to separate at all at the NFL level, he's going to be a touchdown machine. And I also like Traylon Burks because of his ability to run for the catch and help contribute in other ways. I said earlier that a comp for him was A.J. Brown, but really he's more like a hybrid of A.J. Brown and Cordell Patterson. So imagine adding that kind of weapon to your offense. So. Drake London and Treylon Burks are probably my two top choices if you're going to get that high-level talent at eight, which I honestly think is probably a bit of a stretch for both of them. The problem taking a receiver at number eight means that you are not addressing the biggest gaping hole on the Falcons roster, which is the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. So the thought of taking a receiver at number eight is a non-starter for a lot of fans like me. Because I think that you can go get a receiver that is maybe not as good as these guys, but at least in the ballpark with that second round pick at 40 or 58. So guys that could be options in the second round. John Dotson from Penn State, who's a guy I really like. He's a little bit smaller, but if you watch him, his film just pops. He is a speedster. He's good with the run after the catch, about 5'11", 180. And he's a guy that could come in and immediately give you some big play potential. Um, so run up to the catch potential. If you're trying to get a good comp, think like a Henry Ruggs, um, not quite that fast, but like a Henry Ruggs type of player. That's what you're going to get out of him. Whereas like someone like Chris Olava is more like a Devontae Smith type of player. Um, and then another pick that we can go in the second round, and he helped himself with his 40 time this past week at the NFL combine, and that's George Pickens who a lot of people came into the combine with as a low second or high third-round grade, which just boggled my mind because, to me, him and Drake London are essentially the same player, with London being a lot more consistent. Um, but George Pickens, as we all know, six 6'3", 4'4", four, four speed, unbelievably great hands and contested catchability, great on jump balls. Never really put it together to give you the kind of production you thought he should have at Georgia, but you could just see the potential there. Taking him at 40 or even 58 would be a slam dunk for the Falcons. I would love that pick, and he's a guy that within two or three years could be a legit number one receiver, as are all seven of the people I've listed to this point. Now, a couple of other options because the Falcons are in a position where they need more than one receiver, so I wouldn't be shocked to see the Falcons circle back around and pick up a receiver playing a slot or to be a secondary role in the third or fourth round. Some names, and I won't give detailed breakdowns of all these, Sky Moore, who's a really productive receiver from Western Michigan, who I watched a lot of. And my one complaint about him was always that I didn't feel like he looked that explosive on film. He made a lot of contested catches, but he's not a very big guy. He's like 5'10, 5'11 ish, you know, 200 pounds. And he just didn't get a lot of separation. And then he ran 4'3 at the combine. So, well, there's that. Alec Pierce, the big bodied receiver from Cincinnati, who tested absolutely off the charts. 6'3", over 200 pounds, ran 4'3", had like a 39, 40-inch vertical, ridiculous broad jump. He's a great athlete. He's more of a straight-line athlete, not really a twitchy side-to-side runner, but he could give you another option as an outside receiver. David Bell, All-American from Purdue, who, again, didn't run great at the Combine. His film isn't super impressive, but he's a good routes-and-hands guy. I think maybe like a Jarvis Landry type, but I don't think his ceiling's that high. Wondell Robinson, who's your typical small, twitchy slot receiver from Kentucky. Uh, Romeo Romeo Dubs, I think that's how you say his name, from Nevada, who had an unbelievable senior senior bowl week. And then Calvin Austin, who is another speedster who absolutely blazed through the combine with a really good 40 time, who is out of Memphis. So those are some other options for ancillary pieces that you could add in this third and fourth round to be complementary receivers to whomever you bring in, either in free agency or the draft. Now, depending on which route you take, if you go get a receiver at number eight, that's going to be your future number one. And we know that's possible because rookie receivers have had a lot of success transitioning to the league last few years, putting up big, big numbers. Just to mention Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. I mean, these guys have come in the league and really taken over and played well almost immediately. But if you take a guy at eight, you're almost certainly going to, supplement that with a veteran free agent that can come in and also give you some production. So if you're looking for number two options guys that could be not your primary receiver but affordable options at the slot or at the other outside spot that aren't going to break the bank. I went to spotwreck.com and was looking at market value and who's available in the free agent pool and so I have four names for you right now. These guys were These names I'm about to give you were the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth most productive receivers in the 2022 free agent pool, and they all have market values of $7 million or less, which is going to be affordable for the Falcons because Calvin Ridley's $11 million cap hit is gone, and the Falcons do have some cap space with that relief coming. So we're talking about people like, surprisingly enough, Russell Gage. Russell Gage is fourth in all free-agent receivers this year in catches with 66 catches for 770 yards. I don't remember Russell Gage having that good of a year. And right above Russell Gage is another young receiver, Christian Kirk out of Arizona, who more likely will price himself out of being able to be re-signed by the Cardinals. He had 77 catches for 982 yards as the number two option behind DeAndre Hopkins. And he got five touchdowns. And again, I just didn't realize Christian Kirk was having that kind of production just coming short of 1,000 yards and played every game. Russell Gage played 14 games. You're going to see that theme among the people I'm going to mention. These are all guys that were on the field last year. The fifth most productive receiver, and this is Balkers, another receiver from Arizona was A.J. Green at 33 years old. A.J. Green had 54 catches for 854 yards, three touchdowns, and he played in 16 games. And he's got a current market value of around $7 million. Christian Kirk's came in at around $10-$12 million, which, again, that's pricey, but you're getting a 25-, 26-year-old player who's probably going to hit his peak during your time here. And if Christian Kirk turns into a 1,000-yard receiver for three of the four years you sign him and you're paying him $10 million, you're actually getting a bargain. Um, you would think that Russell Gates, with his current level of production, is coming in at about a $4-$6 million range, I'm guessing. There's not really good projections for him. A.J. Green, his projection came in at $7 million, which again would be affordable, especially if you're pairing him with a rookie that is on a rookie contract. And then the last one out of my group was Jamison Crowder, a guy who is good when he's healthy, but he's really healthy. 51 catches, 447 yards last year for the New York Jets, playing with not great quarterback play, and got two touchdowns. And he does not have a contract evaluation, but considering his injury history and his age, he's 28 or 29 years old. I believe this will be his age 29 season coming up. And considering Jamison Crowder's age and injury history, you're probably not going to have to pay as much for him as he made in New York, which was 9.5 million. Maybe he's the guy that you get in a five to six million dollar deal, a one year deal, where he proves it and then go gets another big frigid contract at 30, which can happen. And it's something that the Falcons have said they want to be a mission and goal of their franchise. Come here, rehab your image on the cheap, and then go get paid. So those are four options that would really be attractive ones. Two more I'll throw in there. Three more, actually. Sammy Watkins, who made $6 million last year at the Ravens. Is he great? No, but he's still got a lot of speed. He's still a capable deep threat, and he would not cost you a whole lot. Demarcus Robinson who is probably going to price himself out of a spot with the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, as a number three receiver, he's 50 catches, 600 yards, which you'll take because right now you're about to be playing with guys that have not played any football for the Falcons. And another one with Cedric Wilson from the Dallas Cowboys, whose uh, market value comes in at about $6.4 million according to spotrack.com. He's 26 years old. Demarcus Robinson is 27. Uh, I didn't mention this, but 7 Watkins is 28. So these are guys that are under 30 that you can't afford that won't give you Calvin Ridley production, but could match what you got out of Russell Gage last year in addition to whoever you take in your rookie class. Now, here's the last option. The Falcons could make a few trims around their roster and some of the moves they could make to free up cap space would include things like releasing Tyler Davidson outright. That would save them almost $4 million. Releasing Kendall Sheffield, who's barely played the last two years, that would save them $2.5 million. They could restructure Deion Jones and get $4 million back. And they can make a couple other small cuts that can get them all the way up to 17 million dollars in cap space now if the Falcons do moves like that they're more likely going to spend it over two or three quality phrases because they need so much but there is always the option for them to pull that into getting a prime high level pass catching target if they did a couple of the options the top of the list is probably alan robinson from chicago bears He's got a market value from spot rack of $16 million, but he could come in for less than that because he's coming off a down year in which he was injured. And he is a legit number one receiver when he's healthy. He had th- two or three really good years with the Bears. He had a really outstanding year in the 2015 run to the AFC Championship game for the Jacksonville Jaguars playing with Blake Bortles. When he's healthy, he's really good, and he's a legit number one threat that's 29 years old. So... Could you get him on a feel and get the last little bit of juice out of his prime? Juju Smith-Schuster, who is a wildly interesting prospect because he's coming in off an $8 million, one-year prove-it contract where he was hurt and didn't really do a whole lot, and he's probably leaving the Steelers. You could probably get him for less than his market value, which is listed somewhere between $10 million and $16 million according to over-the-cap and spot rack. He's one that's probably not taking a one-year prove-it deal because he's 25 years old, but... If you sign him to a long-term deal and he stays healthy, you're getting a guy that would be a true number one receiver when he's right and hitting his prime in ages 26 through 30 when he's with the Falcons. One I'll throw out there at 29 years old is OBJ, who's probably going to get a lot of money, 13 to 16 million, less than what he probably should get because he's coming off a, a knee injury, but I don't know if I want OBJ on my team. A, he's hurt. B, he's just a lot. <laughs> um Michael Gallup is one that I'll throw out there too. 26-year-old from the Dallas Cowboys, although I don't think he's leaving Dallas. I think they're probably going to cut Amari Cooper, at which point I will add him to this list. And uh, Michael Gallup's probably going to get like a four-year, $40 million deal or somewhere in that range. So his his evaluation comes in at $11.8 million. So if he, if he gets out of Dallas, he would be a great choice for the Falcons. When he's healthy, he's a great deep threat, but I don't think he's going to make it out. And the final one is DJ Chark. Who has been a really productive receiver out of LSU? Who's played, for the, uh, who's played for the Jacksonville Jaguars last few years? Got a Pro Bowl nod in 2020, had a really good production last few years. A little dip this year because of the erratic quarterback play, but he's a 25 year old whose evaluation comes in at $12 million, and he's a guy that could, like with these other guys that are 25 and 26, be your number one receiver through the last part of his prime as he goes into his early 30s. So. My question for you, what route would you prefer the Falcons to take? Would you rather them spend big money on a free agent, potential number one receiver, and I'm using air quotes here, and then try to supplement that with young receivers in the draft? Would you rather them swing big for a potential number one receiver in the draft and then supplement it with discount bargain bin free agents that are veterans? So here's my dream scenario. I want the Falcons to go with quantity over quality. Go offer A.J. Green two years and $13 million to come play his age 34 and 35 seasons here in Atlanta, be a mentor to these young receivers, and finish with some good production. Then, go in the second round, go get a Jahan Dotson or a George Pickens that can potentially develop into your future number one target. And supplement that with the free signing of another mid-tier player like a Russell Gage, or even a Demarcus Robinson or Cedric Wilson and throw numbers at the receipt at the receiver position as opposed to just spending the money on one big-ticket item because the Falcons, as we just said, have so many holes to fill and end up with maybe 10 to 12 spent on free agent receivers and a young draft pick to go with it. I think that's kind of the best of both worlds. We are giving Matt Ryan some weapons and some targets, and if Matt Ryan's not here after this year... There's still something for your new, probably young quarterback to come in and work with. So, that to me kind of gives you the best of both worlds. But what do y'all think? Let me know. And we'll be back with more Falcons content talking about other positions and a lot of other things related to the draft as well. This has been Dave Bethane for the Title Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.